Welcome back to Life in the Front Office. We've taken a little short break, and uh, I'm back here with Pat Gallagher and Patty Hubbard today. And I, I want to start off by saying thank you to our listeners uh, who have graciously uh, taken the words of wisdom we've, we've tried to put out there uh, throughout the first 35 episodes or so. And, you know, we are really interested in diving into some, some new topics. Um, Patty is on today to talk about agencies and marketing, and, and we're going to dive into some of the other aspects of the sports industry and kind of continue to bring on guests that uh, will really uh, shine some lights on different, different parts of the industry um, and, and all sorts of different pieces of advice. So with that, uh, all views are, are our own, and uh, we will kick it off here uh, in almost May of 2019. Pat, it's hard to believe that... Uh, <laughs> We started this last September, and before you know it, we'll probably be at a year. So um, we encourage our listeners to continue to share it. And uh, Pat, take it away. Introduce Patty, why don't you? Well, thank you so much. I've been looking forward to talking with Patty Hubbard, who I guess it would be fair, Patty, to describe you as a as, as sort of a renaissance a renaissance woman in in, in this <laughs> business. In that you you know your roots are in sports. But you've uh, you've had great success in the agency business, and I really want to, you know, we'll explore that a little bit. And then also, I think we want to spend some time talking about what you're doing now, because uh, in talking with you, I know you've always believed in the importance of building and investing in your personal brand. And so I think that's good advice. Mm -hmm. But let's just start out, and then we'll go start out. How did you get? How did you get into this? You actually did have a job in the front office. Tell us about that. I did. You know, I uh, my senior year at Providence College, you know, sort of at that intersection of, you know, done. I was finished up with playing college sports. I played field hockey at a, at a really high level, uh, was working towards a marketing degree. And, and I really had decided at that time that I didn't really want to get away from, too far away from sports. It was such a big part of my life for so many years. And that I wanted to use my marketing degree. And um, as we all know, it's hard to kind of break into the sports industry. And I applied for an internship with a brand new hockey team in Providence, Rhode Island, called the Providence Bruins. And applied to my senior year. And back then, you know, back in the early 90s, it was not as common to have internships while you're in college as it is today. And I applied and was able to get into a team that was its first year, uh, American Hockey League. And I thought that was just a wonderful experience and transition for me to stay in Providence and, and work for the team. Did, so as an intern, did you, you know, which I assume a fairly small staff, did you have every job in the, every job in the place? <laughs> tell, me, tell me what you did as an you know, intern. What, what did you do as, a, as an intern? Oh, that's so funny, Pat. I mean, I think I often say to, to um students who are coming up in the industry, you know, go work for a minor league team of any level because you'll do every job, right? To your point, small office staff. At the time, we were number one uh, in, in minor league hockey for attendance. So we were averaging, you know, 12, 13,000 a game. And for a front office staff of probably eight people, you know, you're pretty much doing everything. Um, you know, I, I started off in tickets, which led to, you know, um, selling which obviously is a great skill for everyone but selling groups you get to know like okay now we need to do some promotions and now you're heading into marketing 
And then, you know, I'm the person going out during the periods to do the um, ice hockey challenges, you know, with fans. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're managing the mascot, you're doing the promotions, you're doing the tickets, you know, oftentimes you're writing a press release, uh, you're doing an appearance, you're pretty much doing everything. Uh, And I know times have changed a little bit on the, the minor league side, but I still feel like it's a fantastic way to learn a lot of different um, departments Uh, as part of the team. I gotta gotta ask, because Pat will interject and probably say, well, in minor league baseball, you put the tarp on, you you do everything. What do you do? Now, I will say, I did get to intern in minor league hockey, and I had the privilege of, I don't know if they had the chuck-a-puck at the time, but I had the privilege of scooping up (laughs) all of the foam pucks that were thrown onto the ice during the second intermission to try and win a car. Uh, what is, what That's is, amazing. what was kind of like the experience that you had that I could compare to pulling a well, tarp in baseball? Well, I have to say we were trailblazers at the time. We, we actually built a seat at, on the Zamboni. So someone got to actually win a ride on the Zamboni while they were cleaning the ice during the period. Wow. So that was, you know, that was innovation at the time, <laughs> uh, but it was, but it was, uh, you know, people, the photo opportunities, all those things that went along with being able to ride in the Zamboni. Um, Pat, Pat, and then we, did you ever get to yeah. drive the Zamboni? <laughs> I did not drive it, thankfully. I feel like that's a bucket list item for most people, no? Absolutely. God. Oh, man. I think it's harder than it looks, don't you agree? Uh, yeah, so, so Patty, you, let's, let's move on a little bit. Is it's, it's a great place to start. A lot of people in the business start out, first of all, through an internship. And you were lucky enough to get one and also work for a, uh, for a, a franchise that actually, I mean, a crowd of 13,000 people, I mean, in minor league hockey, you know, that's pretty impressive. And, mm-hmm. but you moved on from there and you moved, did you move from there directly into the agency business? So I worked for the team for another two full seasons. Um, so I actually got a full-time job mm-hmm. out of it, which was unusual. Uh, but I took the opportunity and, and stayed on for uh, two more years and then uh, got an opportunity to go on the road actually touring with an experiential marketing company called Sports Lab because I really wanted to travel I wanted to get out of the northeast um, so spent a year on the road just traveling around learning everything about tickets as it pertained to kind of like what they called at the time a traveling um, circus <laughs> it was not a circus but it was the idea that you move from city to city and have to learn how to market yourselves in uh, a different city and then I uh, took a job after that with um, an agency so pretty early on I moved to the agency side and you know really dove in and um, love that side of the business you know the the word agency sort of a catch-all but you know we talk there's lots of different kinds of agencies and you know there's the traditional you know advertising agency people tend to think of that or there's media agencies but Tell me, I mean, you mentioned an experiential agency. Why don't you just describe what, you know, what, 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 what do agencies do and, and what, you know, what, what part of it did, you know, did, did you enjoy the most? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, agencies are, like you said, a catch-all word. There's all different types, you know, and 20 years ago, it looked very different than today. But, you know, traditionally, you have advertising, you have digital You had at the time what was called event marketing, right? So I started off in event marketing, which was putting on and producing and promoting big events. Um, And so, you know, there was no social media at the time. There's no digital. So over the years, that really evolved to, you know, because of the advent of digital marketing, it became 
you know, you became more full service, right? So you were able to not only produce an event, but any time of type of consumer promotion started to fall under experiential marketing because of the ideas that everything you do and we're doing at that level, you were touching consumers directly, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in order to speak to consumers directly, you needed to be able to promote and amplify what you were doing at those events through digital marketing. So it really did evolve over time um, and being on that side of the business. And, you know, we were saying earlier, agencies mean a lot to, you know, based on your brand and where you're at as a company and your needs. And um, it's not an easy thing to find the right type of agency. And sometimes it really does um, matter, you know, what your, what your strategy is. Well, and it's a relationship business. I think, I think Mm -hmm. I've always sort of believed that, you know, in any relationship like that, you're sort of only as good as your, as your clients will allow you to be mm-hmm. in that business. Mm-hmm. But, but you actually wound up running an agency and, and also an agency on the West Coast. That's where you and I first met, um, working on Super Bowl 50. Here's what I, one thing I'd really, when you're running an agency, an experiential agency, and you have to compete for business, tell me, mm-hmm. tell me how, how do you do, how do you estimate what it's worth? Uh, how do you, you know, how do you sell what it is to a client? How do you maintain their trust? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, especially when you're in a competitive market, um, you know, and I started off at the agency in New York, moved to San Francisco to, at the time, it was more on the entertainment side of music. I worked for um, what's now called Live Nation, but I was more on the internal agency services side of that. You know, and in, in when we started uh, MKTG, you know, I had one other person out here on the West Coast, um, you know, and it's very different when you're going out and finding business when you're two people versus when you land it, you know, by the time I left, we were about 80 people. So, you know, it's a it's a very different approach based on where you're at as a company. And back in the beginning, we we're, you know, you want it, you want to make a name for yourself, but you don't want to give away the work. So it really, really came down to, you know, having those relationships um, and getting in there and proving yourself. And sometimes, you know, doing the work, um, you know, doing the work for free so you can prove yourself. So, you know, I think, you know, in how you compete in a market like San Francisco, you don't want to go out and offer things that 10 other agencies can offer. So you really want to make sure that not only do you have the relationships and the trust, but you have the creative, that you have the ideas that no one else has. And then on the other side of it, you're doing, you're producing ideas that no one can execute at the level that you did. And, you know, for so many years, um, at least when I was there, you, that really came down to f- hiring the best people possible to execute at a, at a very high level uh, in a way that no one else can. And that's really what the unique value proposition that we had. So how do you keep good people? I mean, how do you keep the best people? Yeah, you know, I'm something I'm really proud of. You know, when I was at MKTG, we had people who stayed for seven, eight, nine years. And, and a market like San Francisco and L.A., which I also oversaw, it, it's really hard to keep. You know, I think it really came down to, you know, how, and you know, culture is an overused word, but we really were a family. And I think the way that we worked every day and we played every day very much came down to is that we really liked each other. Um, we liked each other and, and believed in each other and really felt like we were at a size, you know, that in, in a, um, place that we felt like we were all in together and we were building something together. And it really came down to me feeling like, okay, yes, I'm the captain of this team, 
but really we're all in this and we're all going to benefit from this. So really kind of leading the charge with the standpoint of, you know, you're right alongside with me. I'm not telling you what to do. Uh, and when you're at an agency, like an experiential marketing agency, there's no day that's the same, right? So every day is different. Every challenge is different. You have to hire a certain type of person who can be a problem solver and really feel like they're okay with that. They're okay that it's, it's going to feel and look very different based on the clients and the work you're doing. And that's, it's exciting and it's different and people either love it or hate it. <laughs> and we were, <laughs> we were able to hire people who really love that side of it uh, and were competitive and felt like they wanted to bring the best creative. And, and that's truly how we kept people is that we continued to challenge them in a way that they felt as though they were learning, um, learning every day. Patty, now <laughs> you said, you know, you either got to love it or hate it. What, you know, if you're trying to get into the sports industry and you look at agencies as an option, what kind of person mm-hmm. do you have to be or what kind of interest do you really have to have to have the passion to want to work in that part of the industry? Yeah, I mean, I, it's a great question. I, and, I, and I can speak for myself and I know the people that I've hired, but I really feel like it comes down to having that competitive nature, right? The competitiveness of, of you have to show results. Uh, And you have to show results in a way that either it doesn't necessarily have to be like you have to be the best salesperson, but you also have to be a problem solver in a way that you have to listen to your clients, um, understand your client's perspective, and then find the solve for it. And I always loved and I think the people around that we hired really loved to be able to find those solutions for those clients um, and put them first always to find the right solution. And I think if you're starting out in the sports industry and you love sports, you probably inherently have that, you know, that spirit of, you know, I want to get over the finish line or I want to win, or I want to find the results that makes everyone sort of feel like they are part of a team. And um, I felt like those were usually the best people to hire and to um, found themselves to be successful. And and for those, and, and for those that are already in the industry and they may have experience, you know, in one part, whether that be in the four major sports or college athletics or whatever the case might be, you know, I guess what skills or what experiences mm-hmm. are most helpful in that field mm-hmm. if, if you maybe come over at a, a higher level than starting out entry level? Yeah, I mean, I think um, being comfortable being um, on a team uh, it always translates. So I think if you're on a team and, you know, you're willing to play a role, uh, depending on what level you're at. And then as you become more senior, you know, it's really important to make decisions, right? Like make a decision, and whether it's positive or, or negative, but being in a position as you grow to be a decision maker and really listen to the people around you. And at least on an agency, I listen to your clients to know what decision is right for the business. Um, and often cases, especially if you're at an agency <clears throat> that may be part of a holding company or you're a bigger company, it's largely based on financial decisions. And if you're making decisions that are pure financial, right, and you're not thinking about the long-term strategy of the business, it can start to erode so many things, including the culture of that company and the results of that company, because you're making decisions based on money um, and not necessarily for the client's better um, well-being or for their strategy. So, you know, maybe I'm speaking from my own experience, but talking to other people in the agency world or sports world, if it's all about money and the results around money, then you, then 
things start to erode um, quickly. Well, and it's about reputation. And, and, and this is a good segue, Patty, because uh, in talking about reputation uh, and establishing a good reputation, and also you mentioned when we talked before the importance uh, of, as you're moving through the business at any level, of, of mm-hmm. finding a mentor, people who mm-hmm. you can sort of count on. Tell us about that. What, what role did that play for you? Yeah, you know, I think um, for me, I, I I don't think in my career I've had to interview, to like to go through like a formal interview process to go into a company to say, you know, I'm going to have to pitch myself. I've been lucky enough to really find those opportunities through mentors um, who were looking out for me and wanted to say, you know, here's an opportunity you should look at. And, the, you know, I've had a few mentors along the way, and I really feel like those mentors allowed me to think more proactively about, you know, challenging myself and thinking about what's next in my career, you know, and I, you know, those mentors um, also came to me when I was working in New York and said, you know, we have this opportunity at Atlanta. And I said, absolutely. I'm jumping on it. I'll move, you know, and I did that once in my career. And then after I was in Atlanta for two years, I said, we have this opportunity in San Francisco and I jumped on that. So I think, if you have someone who's looking out for you in a way that says, you know what, I think you're ready for the next stage and the next part of your growth, um, that is so invaluable. And I think, you know, them knowing you well enough to know what you're ready for um, really helped me personally to know, yes, I moved and I took the chance and the risk to move to another city and start over again. But they allowed me to have those opportunities. And each one of those moves allowed me to be promoted and elevated and have more responsibility. So you know, I think you have to be ready and willing to kind of take some of those risks early on in your career. But having a mentor, being able to identify those for you was 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 everything to me. But what what are the things that you that you did? What are the things that you mm-hmm. think you did to uh, to sort of earn that respect? I mean, why did people recommend you? What yeah. was it that you did um, mm-hmm. you know, that that made you worthy of that? You know, I think uh, looking back at the strengths that I had, I was, you know, put my head down and I over delivered on the work and the tasks that I was given, you know, and, uh, you know, when you're in the agency world and you're doing a lot that, I mean, it's a long day, right? Like you're working a lot of hours and in often cases, I, I say this to, to people uh, who are in the agency world now. It's like, go to their office, go spend time with your clients. So when I moved to Atlanta, I worked in the Coke building and I walked the halls every day and I was really good at finding opportunities in a way that was not, I'm selling you something in the hallway, but I'm here and I did this over here and you respect me and I'm going to listen, I'm going to listen to what you're doing and have some ideas. And so I was really good at going into a situation, reading the room and finding opportunities that were not salesy, but in a way that I was developing, you know, relationships, but also thinking about things strategically. And so when I was given those opportunities, it was an opportunity where maybe the business was a little bit in trouble and they needed someone to go in and kind of manage the relationship and grow the relationship in a way that was more organic. Um, And that's why I was given those opportunities to go to Atlanta and San Francisco to not, to not repair relationship, but to help grow it in a way that was also getting it back on track. And I, you know, that was a real strength of mine. Pat, you, you, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, but to your point earlier, Pat, uh, you talked about all the different types of agencies and, 
and I know we're going a little bit off the beaten path with, with the mentor side of things, but um, as you kind of went throughout your career on the agency side, you know, why stay on the agency side? And mm-hmm. were there ever moments in your career where, <laughs> you know, you thought, I might, might want to switch or uh, I kind of, you know, I'm interested in this. And, um, and then mm-hmm. I would also say, how did you keep the, um, the need for an agency, right? So if you're, if you're an agency, um, you, you know, in theory, it's, it's all outsourced, right? It's third party. So why is it needed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, going back to your um, earlier question about, you know, agencies and why agencies and, um, you know, why staying on that side, I was always open to and I always thought that at some point in my career, I was going to go work for a client. Uh, and I had the luxury of working with some top companies, Coca-Cola, Nike, Reebok, uh Beats by Dre, you know, Electronic Arts, like all these companies that it was, oh, that'd be my dream company, my dream brand. I want to go work for them. And I have to say, I was always open to that, but being on the other side of the table always felt better. You know, I always, I got too close maybe to those companies where I said, you know what, like I'm here at the table. I'm, I know a lot about them, but I'm still okay over here. <laughs> and I think that was <laughs> was a luxury. Like I was able to kind of get a sneak peek into what they were all about. And while I respect those companies and those brands, I never felt like I could work there. Um, And that was just a unique perspective I was able to have by being able to move around and and work with a lot of different companies. And again, I was always open to it, but I did not find the one where I felt like I just have to work, work with uh, work for that company. So, so Patty, describe the experiential uh, for me from start to finish the, the experiential, uh, uh, deliverable that you delivered for a client and, yeah. and go through the process and what was it? What was the one that maybe you're maybe most proud of? <laughs> you know, um, for a lot of years I worked with, there's a couple different areas of experiential. There's like the B2C, which is, you know, Nike wants to do a pop-up shop in New York City or Nike wants to put on a big soccer tournament around World Cup. Like there's the where you're reaching consumers directly. And then there's a side of experiential that is more B2B. You know, maybe you're producing a conference for Facebook or, you know, something from Google. And so I've worked on both sides of the business. And, you know, there's two different processes that go with that. But I work largely in B2C. So in B2C, oftentimes it is short timelines. Um, you know, for Nike, they would give us, you know, six weeks to produce something around World Cup. And it would be, okay, let's come up with the biggest, best idea. They have millions of dollars to spend against it. You know, how is it going to make a splash? How are we going to get PR, right? So that is a crazy process, right? Where you have to come up with the biggest, best ideas that four other agencies are competing against that you hope they like your creative the best. And then then when you win, you got to be like, I, now I have to produce it, right? Now I need to go find a barge in the middle of the ocean to go do a soccer tournament on. Um, you know, I, that in itself, I could, you know, if we had three hours, I could tell you about, you know, a hundred different ideas that you were like, I can't believe we did that and pulled it off. I think one of the biggest ones was around the 2012 Olympics, you know, Beats by Dre was still fairly a new company at the time, a new brand. And, you know, Dr. Dre and Jimmy Ivan, they are all a big part of these ideas of 
you know, how are we going to be a part of the Olympics and not pay the Olympic money, right? So we came up with ideas, we concepted, and the idea that we had landed on is that we're going to do a a pop-up space in London around the Olympics, and it is going to be athlete only. Um, Athletes are going to be invited to come in. It was not like a hospitality space that you might get at the USA house or something. It was purely for athletes and what they wanted and what they wanted to experience as part of the Olympics, somewhere private, somewhere they could hang out with their friends. They could watch the games. Again, they were not, not an Olympic sponsor, but they were giving away Olympic branded headphones for each of their countries. So athletes from Africa came in, you know, for their country, they got a headphones of someone from UK, they got the, their flag on their headphones. So it was an idea that was simple, but it, it just really, it, things changed coming out of that. Um, about halfway through the Olympics, every athlete was talking about it. Everyone was like, where did you get the headphones? They were wearing it on television. You know, the swimmers were wearing their headphones. The track athletes were wearing their headphones. And you can imagine what happened, right? It was like, we're, we're, they have to shut down social media. They can't talk about the headphones. Where are they getting the headphones? They shut the space down. Um, we weren't allowed to um, open it for a day. You know, net, net, we we're able to open it again. They decided like they couldn't restrict the athletes from talking about these things on social media. Um, there was just, there was, it was, it, it had the most media impressions probably at any sponsor of the Olympics. Um, and that was something that we had three weeks to pull off. Wow. So, <laughs> so, you know, halfway through the design and build of this space, there was a pause. We don't, not sure if we're going to do this or not. We're like, no, this ship has sailed. We're doing the space. And, you know, it, thankfully, um, it all turned out we were able to keep it open, but it was the talk of the Olympics. There were rumors going around that Dr. Dre was in the village handing out headphones. Like it was, it was pretty, pretty in- intense. Um, but, you know, we have a, if you've watched the, um, the story of Beats on, there's a HBO series, the actual footage from that Olympics and the space is actually part of the documentary. How cool. How great. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so, so Patty, you, you know, you've sort of been there, done that in the agency business and, um, you know, you, you made a pivot. Um, I also have to mention that you're, you know, you have a family. I mean, you're, yeah. <laughs> you, you have, uh, you have uh, not only a job, but you're a, you know, you're a mom and you're, uh, yeah. uh, and it's, so you somehow find time to, to do all that, but, but describe what you're doing now with uh, brand forward and what, what were the, what was the need that you saw that needed to be filled um, mm-hmm. that, that sort of caused you to, to move ahead with, uh, with Brand Forward? Yeah, I think, you know, the impetus of Brand Forward was, you know, one was after Super Bowl 50 ended. You mentioned earlier how, you know, my agency was working with uh, you and Super Bowl 50. And there was just all these great, talented people coming off the host committee. And, you know, Stephanie Martin, my partner and I, got together pretty quickly because I was also at a point where MKTG had been acquired by Dentsu. We were a couple years uh, post acquisition. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, I like building things, right? Like Mm -hmm. I love the idea of there's an idea, let's build it. um, You know, and, and we're not, you know, Stephanie and I are both, as you know, are not afraid to get pull up our sleeves and get our hands dirty and, and get into something and help solve it. So, you know, we sat down right after Super Bowl 50 and, just start talking about what we, you know, what we, what our strengths are, like, what are we passionate about? And we identified a few things. One is um, 
love the mentoring side of anything we've always done in our career. Like people have been mentors to me, but I've also make sure I give back and I provide as much mentorship as I can to other people. And Stephanie's the same, you know, we identified that, you know, we felt like in the sports industry itself, there was not, and what we've encountered is that we had, you know, in talking to professional athletes and the comings and goings of what we've done is that there were a ton of athletes who were struggling with, um, how to how to brand and market themselves you know and how to transition outside of sport so you know if you look at we just you know we had talked to a number of different athletes before we launched from whether it was from olympic athletes to nfl to um wnba and across the board they often said you know when we were sort of researching is that they regretted not doing more while they were playing you know doing more meaning you know, all I was doing was focusing on playing my sport and being as successful as I could playing my sport, but I didn't do enough while I had what you say is while you have a job is when you should look for your next job, right? So the idea that we could support them, you know, as they were heading into not only being a professional athlete, but support them while they were playing to really think about what they were doing now to, to help them transition down the road. So the way that we position ourselves and the way that we identified as a need is thinking about the strategy. So the strategy of what is the long-term strategic plan. So if you're a company or a brand, you don't launch yourself with a six month plan, right? You have a five to 10, 15 year plan that goes how you launch your company and your brand. And that same process should be, uh, and, and that's what we're providing, should be done with people. Because in today's world, people and athletes are brands um, for so many reasons. They're brands just like companies are. And we've taken that process and what we did for companies for so long, and we bring that to a person who happens to also be an athlete. You know, and you've got an athlete who's, who's, you know, at the top of their game. You know, what they do is important, but describe how you tell athletes – Here's what you shouldn't do. Here's here's what you got to be careful of. Yeah. How do you do that? You know, we you know the we when we talk about brand forward and the way we position brand forward, they have a lot of people in their ear telling them what not to do. So if you think about the team that's around them, or whether they're a college athlete or professional athlete, so much of how they are trained is the nose, right? It's like don't say that, don't do this, don't do this on social media, don't talk about the media. Mm-hmm. So the way that we focus it on is if we can prepare them in a way that allows them to be confident and comfortable about who they are. Uh, and that requires us to work with them, right? So where do you come from? What are you about? What are your passions? What, what, what do you find your purpose to be? What, what are you passionate about off the field, right? So in thinking about their brand, an athlete is part of their brand, but what are the two or other three other things that you want to be known for? And so if we put them through that process that helps define their brand and helps them create a voice around their platform, then you have to say, then you have to focus less about the nose, mm-hmm. right? Cause then it's more of a positive, you know, proactive way for them to have a voice versus always feeling like they're on the defense. Patty, you talked, you talked about building and how you liked building, um, obviously working with, with athletes to build their brands, but from the personnel within the sports industry, or really quite frankly, anyone, um, in their professional, mm-hmm, you know, endeavors, uh, how do you build your brand? You know, where do you start? What kind of plan do you put together? Yeah. Uh, I actually kind of yeah. think it's similar to, to what uh, I co-authored 
uh, with with one of our other podcast hosts, Andy Dolich, on on the student athlete success and transition part and creating a plan. But it's mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. when when you're in that job, right? You're 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 so focused on grinding on the day to day, and it's and it's hard to pick up your head to focus on 15 years from now because no one knows what 15 years from now looks like. So what, what kind of yeah. advice do you give to those people? You know, so we not only give them advice, but we put them through a process. So we've created our own proprietary process, um, involves a questionnaire that we've developed and it's not as straightforward as like, what are your strengths? Right. So like we, we have been very um, thoughtful about how we get information as part of our discovery. So we put our clients, and to your point, it can be anyone, but we just happen to focus on athletes and people in the sports industry. You know, we put you through, have you answer a questionnaire, we do an hour long interview. And from our experience, we're able to say, okay, well, let's start with, again, if you're creating a brand, what would you start with? You would start with your brand story, your narrative, your mission, um, what are your, what are your values, you know, and we actually put them through an archetype process that we, we've done on the agency side. And so the output of that process really is a powerful thing. So it's a powerful thing because it allows that person to say, you know, I have a lot of it in there. I don't know how to articulate it. I don't need to, I don't know how to articulate what my brand is because for a lot of people, they're like, I don't know what that means. So we're able to kind of pull out that information to say, well, this is what we think your brand is. And I would have to say nine, time, nine times out of 10, they are blown away because they're like, wow, that really is me. That is really what, you know, my mission is and what my purpose is. And that often, often leads to, okay, well, here's your brand. Here's what, you, this is what makes up your brand. And now let's think about how we can bring those strengths out of you better and how can we set you up so that you're working towards something that all of a sudden leads to, okay, maybe that does lead me towards a 10-year plan because my strengths are being brought out in a path that makes sense to me and that will, in many cases, make them happier. No, that's awesome. And I want to kind of hit on one point, Pat, um, that, that you talked about earlier in terms of, you know, the social media side of things. How, mm-hmm. how crucial is that in building a brand now in today's day and age um, and I, I would even say I'm, I'm someone who has gotten rid of their social media at 25. So uh, what, what would you uh, advise to those in terms of building their brand on social media? And then uh, to what Pat alluded to earlier with building relationships, uh, building your brand within building relationships. Yeah. You know, I think the way that oftentimes we have athletes who come to us and say, I need help with social media or I need a website. Or, you know, it's tactics. So, so much of that world that they've lived in has been tactical. You know, a lot of what, how they're supported is commission-based. It's tactics. It's, I need to, you know, get, every, get everything from you I can in this two-year period while you're playing, right? So it's all very short-term thinking. It's all very tactical. What we do is we take a step back and say, okay, well, here's your brand. What does that strategy look like to, you know, build the brand, amplify your brand, um, and how to kind of execute on that. So oftentimes it does, could lead back to social media as a strategy, but we don't know that until we figure out where you're going. Do you need social media? Do you need to be on every channel? You know, is it more on the business side? So maybe you're on Twitter. So we, we look at all of that and we look at the landscape to say, how can you best utilize social media where you're in a way that you're comfortable 
and it builds the right community around your brand. You know, maybe it's just you're on LinkedIn. Maybe you don't have to be on Facebook. Maybe you don't have to be on Instagram. Maybe, you know, every channel has a purpose, mm-hmm. but it also has a, it has a tactical plan around how you use that channel. And oftentimes you may not need to use that channel based on how we think, you know, your path, what your pathway looks like. And, you know, social media is not for everyone. Um, but we do feel like if you're going to be on social media, whether it's you or an athlete, is that you should have a plan around it, right? Because then it's less overwhelming. Then you feel like, okay, I'm going to share, you know, if I have a channel on Instagram, we're going to work with you on, okay, why? But then how are you going to leverage and use that channel? You know, is it you're going to talk about sports, food, and travel? Are you going to talk about uh, sports or something around starting your own business? So you have to be thoughtful and you have to have a content plan around how you use that channel. Um, like you would, uh, you know, if you were a company, you're going to launch, um, a TV show or a podcast series, right? You want to make sure you have a theme and you have a plan of how you're going to, you know, use your channel to speak to people and build your community around it. Absolutely. You know, you, you've, you've not only done it for individuals, uh, uh, Patty, I mean, you and Stephanie, but you've actually done some work also for some leagues, I mean, yeah. actual leagues, describe a, uh, a league project that you've that you can that you can talk about yeah we've worked with a number of properties uh brands events you know uh we just renewed a deal with um the lpga um and the lpga has uh symmetra tour which is the rookies so it's you know the players who are trying to get to the lpga tour um, and we work with the rookies on the lpga or pga tour as well so we're into a two-year deal with them Uh, We have done, we felt it was really important to not just go in, meet the players, meet these athletes, do a one-time workshop, and then they never see us again. So the way that we've structured it is that last summer we went out on the road with them and did three stops, uh, spent a day with them each time so that we could build on, okay, you know, we have a workshop series where they could, you know, building a brand doesn't take a week, right? It's something that could take years to do. Um, and to get them in a place over a series of time, we felt like they could keep coming back, you know, give them assignments, give them some momentum to come back and meet us again on the second time. And then we give them topics to build on for the third time. So the model worked really, really well. Um, and as a result, they signed us up for a, um, three part workshop again this year. And then they added a workshop series around working with the rookies on the LPGA tour, because it's so overwhelming right like you're going into the now you're you know in the you're a little fish in a big pond and how and how can you best leverage your time on the lpga tour um it's more high profile you know help them a little bit with the media side of things to your point earlier focus on the social media and are there opportunities for brand partnerships so we're you know we're diving into a series of topics that really support them in a way that likely they're not getting from their agents, um, you know, along the way. I would guess that agents initially would look at what you, what you're doing with brand forward and they'd say, okay, I have a client. Does my client, you know, need this? Are you competition? Mm-hmm. But I think what you've been able to manage is all of a sudden the, the, the people who represent these athletes and, and also the leagues have looked at you as a, as a, as a huge asset to do things yeah. maybe for them that, that they, they really haven't been able to do before. So uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's, we, a, and we, that's been the strength. We look at it as complimentary, right? So if we can turn over this, you know, we've created 
the, this brand for this athlete, the agent has a really great idea about where this, um, where this athlete, what their brand looks like, what they stand for, maybe what types of brand partnerships are going to work as part of this. I think it's a benefit, you know, and I think it's complimentary because the agent can go find ban- better brand deals and they can find, um, public speaking opportunities. So we feel like it really sets them up with the strategy that the agent can really run with. That's fantastic. So, so Patty, let's do this. Let's get to the end. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. So, Uh um, (laughs) no, no, in a good way. So, so Patty Hubbard, the brand Uh describe, describe, if you had to describe Patty Hubbard as the brand, Mm -hmm. what, what, what would be the, the assets that you have? What would be the things that, that you would want people to know about Patty Hubbard, the brand? Well, you called me a Renaissance woman, and I think I'm going to run with that one <laughs> in the future, by the way. Um, Good. You know, I, I, I really love the idea that um, for me personally, I'm always trying something new. Uh, I'm not afraid to um, be a trailblazer in a space that maybe, you know, hasn't had the support um, like something like brand forward. And I think I love the idea of, um, you know, entrepreneur is not the right word, but I love the idea of building uh, and building on an idea. And I love building teams. And I just really, you know, like I said earlier, I've never had an interview for a job. And I think that's a, that's something that I feel like really speaks to who I am because I really have been proactive about the next opportunity and proactive about the things that I want to do. So I've taken control of my career path versus allowing someone else to make that decision for me. Patty, I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish uh, our episode here with a question. I actually want to start doing every single episode. Cause I think it'll be interesting to see what our, what our, uh, our guests can kind of really come up with throughout uh, the rest of the year. But we, we obviously, we call this life in the front office and, um, we, we kind of came up with that because everyone works in the front office of some kind, right? It may not necessarily mm-hmm. be the office at the ballpark, right? But it's, it's an office of some kind. And um, if you could leave the listeners with one you know, piece of advice, words of wisdom that you would want to leave behind uh, based on what you've gone through with your career, what would that be? Well, I would say work on the things that you want to work on and work with the people you want to work with and just really work in a space that's you're passionate about. Like, don't waste your time working on things that are feel like a grind. Fantastic. Short and sweet. Right to Very the good. Point. Awesome. Thanks, Patty. We appreciate uh, your time. I know I certainly learned a lot today and, and I'm sure uh, our listeners will as uh, as well and um, Pat you know always enjoy having you on Patty we, we welcome you on uh, in, the, in the near future again um, to, to join us and, and talk about some more projects I know you said uh, we, we, we actually might Pat you think we could pull off a three hour episode I, I don't know <laughs> well you know I, I know we could do it I, I just want to I'm just worried about our listeners uh, you know? we, yeah, <laughs> we might put them asleep but but, but no, might be no, no, but, it, it, but we'd have to tease them. We'd have to tease them with stuff that's coming up. I mean, uh, Patty, you know, you are a Renaissance woman. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the episode with us. I think uh, you've, you know, you've, you've taught, you've taught us a lot about the branding process. And uh, 
We'll, along with our listeners, we'll keep an eye on you and Brand Forward in the future. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure and um, nice to get to know you, Jake. Likewise. And Patty, what, where where can people and, and our listeners find out about Brand Forward? What's on social media, website? Yeah, so we are on every channel. It's BFWD, um, short for Brand Forward. We have a website um, you can check out. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. So you can follow. We have different content for each channel. So join them all. Awesome. 